0: a very special episode of Analyze Scripts, because one of my favorite attendings for my residency training is joining us um, to talk about one of my favorite movies, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or the Philosopher's Stone, depending on which country you're watching it in. Um, so today we have Dr. Gila Kayum, uh, the Training Director for the Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Fellowship Program and the Medical Director of the Emergency Psychiatry Services at Boston Children's Hospital. Uh, she holds faculty appointments at Yale School of Medicine and Harvard Medical School, and she's the Associate Director of Medical Student Education in Psychiatry. She's also serving as a Lieutenant Colonel in the United States Army Reserves Medical Corps and deployed to Afghanistan, and was later mobilized in support of the COVID-19 response to New York. Um, Dr. Kayum has published on the topics of medical education, autism spectrum disorders, inpatient treatment of early psychosis and lgbtq plus youth the use of fairy tales and teaching child psychiatry and the risk of youth suicide and firearms she has a particular interest in the areas of supervision and mentorship which she's so good at uh psycho-oncology and palliative care and um i feel like uh we always called her dr q i guess i'm allowed to call her by her first name because i'm a grown-up now I still feel kind of funny about it. Uh, But you were one of my favorite mentors. And I feel like you're really special because, you know, sometimes when you have a mentor, it kind of feels like they're trying to like mold you in their image, you know, Um, but I always felt like you just wanted what was best for me. And you were so encouraging. um, And I just always loved working with you and you hold a really special place in my heart. So this is
3: really fun to talk about Harry Potter. No, this is this is like making me teary. This is just the loveliest <laughs> intro I have gotten, and um, it's just such a thrill that you know uh, the the people that you invest in grow up to be such amazing, amazing child or adult or you know <laughs> psychiatrist, but more so just people. And you're mm. very dear to me as well. Um, that's and very I sweet. That's the, the best part of being an educator and a clinician is that not only are you trying to sort of transfer your skills uh, or your wisdom, but you get to see your kids grow and become mm. who they're meant to be and their best versions. And if you think you're a part of that journey, I think that's just the most amazing privilege.
0: Mm. Well, I know you were for me and I know you were for a lot of my co-residents. So it's so true. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am dying to talk to you about this movie, given your interest in using fairy tales to explore Mm -hmm. development. So I just kind of want to jump right in and hear what you think about the first um, Mm -hmm. Harry Potter movie and kind of what jumps out at you.
3: So I think one of the, the loveliest things about Harry Potter was that it was a modern fairy tale. And we've had a lot of like lovely fantasy uh series, but some there was something very special about Harry Potter that just captured everyone whether mm-hmm. it was kids or adults. It's interesting whenever I ask people what their favorite children's book is, inevitably for a lot of them it's Harry Potter. And I read it in med school, so I was much older uh, but I still stood in line at midnight. and Yes,
1: up, yes.
3: Um, where I was standing next to like 10-year-olds in their robes and I was like, am I in the right place? Oh, yeah. But you you felt that like you were in the right place and I think that's what it communicated was. It was or is uh, a modern fairy tale for all ages. It just mm-hmm. has that essence of a fairy tale that it means something different to people different people at whatever stage of development or life they're in. So a child can interpret it in their own way and have things that they resonate with. And as adults, we might find things that resonate to us, whether based on like the hero's journey, those there, these ordeals and call to action and your helpers that, you know, bring you along, but also the the trepidations, the the challenges, at times you doubt yourself when when things are there. How do you overcome challenges and this power of transformation through a journey and a story, that you're not the same person that you started off as. But with all of the things that you've had to experience, how does that evolve and transform you till you come full mm-hmm. circle in some way? not the same person that left, but so much more wiser, grown, um, and and just, a, I think it's the transformative journey that we see from mm-hmm. the first book that started. But there are these just themes that just feel like so relevant to today about loss and difficulty. Mm-hmm. And when you're seeing this drive for power around you and how do you fit in the whole picture? And we usually have a reluctant protagonist in many stories that is not fully sure they want to take on the adventure and the call for action, and yet they do. But I think most importantly for me, the biggest thing was the importance of hope and friends. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. Um,
0: and it's funny, you mentioned, uh, hearkening back to, you know, standing in line at midnight and <laughs> like borders books or whatever, wherever you were, I totally did the same thing. I think I was in middle school and then high school. Um, but it is really fascinating how Harry Potter and other fairy tales, like it. Was, I feel like especially Harry Potter, it is like, such a cultural, Mm -hmm. like communal enjoyment, you know, and not just in American culture, but certainly worldwide. It's just such a really cool thing that it just really spans ages, genders, cultures, nationalities, languages. It's just, everyone loves it. Right. And I feel like this movie, you know, rewatching it now as an adult with my children was so meaningful and fun. You know, so I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old And they were just enraptured by it. They wouldn't stop talking the whole time. They wouldn't take their eyes off. And this isn't like a cartoon, Mm -hmm. you know? So they're still at the ages where really it's cartoons that catch their attention for two and a half hours. But this one did. And that was really interesting to me and really special. And I love some of their commentary, like with Hermione always raising her hand. My daughter, which I was like so happy, said like, she's got a really big brain. And I was like, yes, she does. You know, (laughs) and then when when Draco came on the scene very early on, my son was like, oh, he's a bully. Uh And I was just like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just really cool um, to kind of see kids watching it, too. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's worth mentioning something interesting when I was starting to read the books, um, before the music, the movies had started kind of coming out. I remember very distinctly the, um, like religious organization that I was a part of at the time was very split with, you know, people thinking that you shouldn't be reading it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's magic. It's, it's, um, Witchcraft. witchcraft. And then the other half being like, if you actually, you know, if you know the story, it's like this: good versus evil. Good always triumphs. Um, there's hope. There's like you were saying, friendships. I mean, it's such a positive message, and there's so many interesting, like, um, I don't know, like spiritual parallels in kind of some ways. Parallels throughout all of the books, but you know, I think it was it was just an interesting time to be like, you know, hearing this spoken series is bad or evil and then reading them. And, you know, in my family, we were very pro Harry Potter Mm -hmm. (laughs) and loving the messages. And I think that was just like, I don't know. I'm sure some other people might have had that experience. Oh, I totally remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, right. Like we come to see this boy Mm -hmm. um, in, I would say, a pretty abusive home. Yeah um with a lot of neglect and i think it's funny watching it or thinking about it now versus in childhood like i'm curious Mm -hmm. what even like your kids picked up of the scenes you know the parents certainly seem mean Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. right dismissive and um you pick that up even as a child like something's not right why does dudley receive Mm -hmm. all of these gifts and harry's not his clothing so
0: yeah my kids were asking about that like why are they so mean to him why Why is he living under the stairs? They certainly were asking those questions.
3: Yeah. No, I think it's a really lovely depiction of how prevalent and difficult it is for kids that have neglect. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think also it really sort of from starting from him being under the stairs and just watching Dudley get 36 presents uh, and counting yes. <laughs> and him, you know, thinking about like, he has to get, you know, hand-me-downs to go to school and what that would be like. Just that, that mm-hmm. differential that was created and that sense of otherness or I don't belong or I'm not good enough. It, it really, I think, beautifully highlights like how a child will internalize that because you see that then play out throughout, which, you know, partly keeps him humble when you know everybody thinks he's this amazing you know Mm -hmm. everybody knows him but he's coming from where he nobody knows anything about him and and he held on to that for a very very long time and it it really changed his i think we see him work through it but his sense of belief and faith in his own abilities and his self uh because they told him he wasn't good enough for a good 11 years. Mm-hmm. And that sense of feeling like you're worth something that he didn't get initially. And how does one young child actually grow to develop that? Partly it kept I him know. humble in the face of, I don't know, dumb or stardom, <laughs> whatever that was, <laughs> that he got later on. But also, it really impeded his ability to rely on other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. He would just, like, whenever, and we see this in the the later books as well, but whenever he has to do something, he's very, like, the avoidant attachment style. I can't trust people to be there for me. And, we know, later in the books, there are other losses that sort of reinforce that for him. Mm -hmm. But... He embarks on everything on his own, and working with others and trusting others comes a very, very is it's very challenging for him. Comes much later.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I I like that you brought up his attachment style. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain a little bit what avoidant attachment is, or you know the kind of kids mm-hmm. or adults we might see that in, and mm-hmm. how Harry either fits in or doesn't quite fit in.
3: So, the avoidant attachment style is when a young child has inconsistent caregiving where their needs may not be consistently met. And so, rather than clinging to their caregiver to get their needs met, they're like avoiding contact with them because they don't know are they coming, or are they going, or are they going to be there. So, the child starts to avoid that contact and doesn't get need or avoids contact with the caregiver to get soothed and self-regulated. Mm-hmm. So we see the same thing that in since the attachment is our, our template of uh, for forming relationships uh, that we carry on in life, we see Harry, um, particularly later on as he's growing older, that even in adolescence, whenever there is a challenge, um, he goes off on his own rather than relying on anybody else because he doesn't know... Are people going to really be there for him or not? Are they going to leave? Are they going to neglect him? So he might as well do that for himself and just go off on his own. So that sense of avoiding closeness with people because they might leave or not be there for you is that sense that avoidant children uh, internalize. And so mm-hmm. they, they don't keep looking for closeness with people. Um, it's good Mm -hmm. that we see Harry work through this over a great many books, which also tells you that it runs in parallel with the life experience of a young child who's had early life neglected and avoidant attachment style might need a lot of reinforcement of positive interactions to say, no, you can rely on other people. You know, Mm -hmm. if you do get close to people, it'll be okay. Um. And yet loss is a very, you know, I think integral part of our human experience and life. Um, And for an avoidant child, um, there is that risk that it just might reinforce that belief that people are not going to be there for them.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And in addition to Harry having that early childhood neglect and abuse, he also had early loss of his parents who seem like lovely caregivers who were likely very attuned to his needs, Mm -hmm. at least as far as we can tell. Um, And that he was present for their, their murder. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was really curious about your take on that, you know, given like around the age they depict that and then what it must have been like for him at age 11 to start learning the truth about that loss at the same time as he's learning like their losses, why he's famous or special I just imagine that's got to be so confusing. Uh,
3: absolutely and I think that's such a lovely point of you know th- there's so much magic instilled in that power of that parental love that he carried with with him um, that was you know it literally like burned professor squirrel into Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, it was so powerful. Um I think it it does show, though, however, that it was at a very sort of vulnerable time period in his life when that death occurred. He was still a baby, and we're thinking, like, till from infancy to toddlerhood, maybe the first part went well when his parents were attuned and taking care of him, but later on, and still in that very vulnerable time frame, he had a lot of neglect, Um, and Mm -hmm. so as you're entering into like your preteen years, your sense of like, how do I relate with my peers? Who am I in relationship with them? Will they accept me as we're thinking about like later latency age and early preteens? Going into your identity formation, where you are, who you are is so sort of determined by who are the people in your life who brought you here? What is your story? How did you start? Um, And I remember um, as a child, my mom would tell me stories about, well, when you were little, we did this, things I wouldn't remember. But Mm -hmm. but still, you create these memories based on the things that your parents tell you as well when you're younger. But Mm -hmm. those things are so important in our development. And now he had to figure that out on his own. Who was he? What were his parents like? That question of, you know, when he goes and sees his father's name on the, yes. the trophy room and he's like, mm-hmm. I didn't know he was a seeker. There's just so many right. knowns for him to figure out who he right. is because he doesn't know where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your, your, your legacy or your lineage or what are the wonderful stories about how amazing you are? Your parents tell you he never had that. And now he has to create his own narrative about who he is, which is the whole process through the book.
2: And speaking of like identity formation, he went from being told that you're such a burden, um, you're unwanted, your parents were horrible, they were weird or strange, um, to you know, being praised or, 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 whoa, you know, Ron's reaction to it's you with the scar on the train and, you know, having all of this wealth suddenly yes. and this importance in this world. Um, it's just so interesting. You had written down with Hagrid, like, you know, him just going with right. him, right. But it's like by that. to this magical place that, you know, if, if somebody had told and a 11-year-old me, I think, you know, and I'm hopefully that I'm a securely attached. I would have been as- afraid to go with Hagrid, right? This like big, burly, um, giant, half giant man who's telling me all these things that we're going to go to this magical place. Like, you know, I think for a securely attached child, they probably wouldn't have gone. Yeah. But you know, he didn't have any attachments. And then um, I think anything is better than living with the Dursleys right, to finally
0: take him out mm-hmm. of that situation yeah. right it's like almost like this savior has come right. to rescue him. Yeah. Um uh, what were your thoughts about that Dr. Q, the way he so quickly you know latched on to Hagrid.
3: Yeah, I think just like Portia said it's like that insecure attachment there's not nothing to hold him there. But he's also I think like we talked about at a point where he's thinking about things in his life if he's going to go to the mm-hmm. same school as Totally. What is that going to be? He's getting into trouble constantly, and imagine the message you internalize after you're told that everything you do is wrong, or you're a bad kid. Mm And you get told that long enough, you start believing it. So maybe it wasn't such a far fetched thing to say. I'm going, and I'm taking off. Uh, Right. (laughs) I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Whenever you know anything I do isn't good anyway.
0: Uh, right. Uh, and I think we see that in clinical work and probably you yeah. see it a lot more given your line of work in kids who maybe will go off with, you know, not safe people, you know, that sort exactly. of increases their vulnerability for, for those very situations.
3: Because at the core of it, every kid just wants to belong. Yeah. And so if it was what Hagrid said is that's where you belong. Mhm. He hasn't had that sense of belonging at the Dursleys, so mm-hmm. he will try and go and find if he belongs somewhere else and with other people. Or,
0: and he does find. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I'm going to cry talking about
3: <laughs> Harry Potter.
0: And also, just thinking about Hagrid is like I just love Hagrid. No, he's such he's such a gentle giant, but like. I couldn't think of a better person to come scoop up Harry. Mm -hmm. Right. Like even just like imagining him, like sort of putting him in the little sidecar. He's like nice and cozy and secure and contained. And like, just, I hope like just feel safe next to this big old guy who, who stood up to the Dursley, you know, chased, Mm
2: -hmm. found him. Um, I, I remember my blood boiling, even watching the movie again or rereading the book when they keep taking his letters it's, i know you know it's such like uh so mean oh it's just it's like, like the that's worst his thing. letter yeah that's the one thing he has or it's just but I then
0: hogwarts is like well we'll send you more yeah. we're, we're not gonna <sighs> give up and i i would imagine for harry like how wonderful that must feel like wow they really are trying to get to me they like, want no me. one has yeah. wanted me like that before and like they're do- they're like there being like Hogwarts or whoever, Dumbledore's like love for him is so transcendent and powerful that it like wins out against the neglect of the Dursleys, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Just beautiful. And, and sort of how teary Hagrid was when he was first dropping him off when he was a baby. And oh, no. you have Dumbledore saying, you know, <laughs> it's not goodbye for. Oh my
0: gosh! I feel like that's how I am every like every year the new school year starts. (laughs) You know, you're just like, oh my gosh, they're growing up. And then Hermione, you know, I think it's
2: worth mentioning. Like, right, so she has it seems securely attached, yes, um, supportive parents, but is living as right like a Muggle her whole life until receiving these letters and and going to Hogwarts and then learning that she is um right like a Mudblood and that she is not good enough right her blood is like dirty Hmm. and yet she is so brilliant Mm -hmm. and just i think that's such an interesting like reversal of her and harry's experience um she's still really smart but it's like it's not good enough she's people still you know are calling her names like draco Mm -hmm. and i don't think that she experienced that like prior um right
0: you know the little bits that we get of her pre-Hogwarts. And interesting to think about her parents like getting this random letter <laughs> and sending her, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean
3: that's the 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 wonderful thing about secure attachment and great parenting is like, you know, we're all about you. So mm-hmm. if this is who you are and this is your success and this is where you're going to thrive, sure. We don't know anything. Go about for the it. Magic world? And And I think that is the part of Hermione's own resilience as well is that that secure attachment as as difficult as those interactions with Draco are allows her to stand up for Harry and um Ron and build friendships and sort of extend that beyond the parental unit onto her friend's new people and say. Mm-hmm. Because I have a good sense of attachment and security and I know people will be there for me, I can be there for other people too. And then you can carry it forward. Um, so I think Hermione is a really nice example of a secure attachment. Um, and then I think you see that play out a little bit more, not in the first book, but later on at the Yule Ball, where she can put Ron in his place for not asking her out. Mm-hmm. And sort of of take ownership of her own, like, you know, next time you want to do this, pluck up the courage and ask, right? So knowing (laughs) your boundaries, I think that's a really nice illustration of how important attachment is as a child is growing and then into adolescence that the same things play out in your other relationships.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And how amazing to have a,
0: a girl character like Hermione, right? Like I think, um, all the things you just said, like her bravery, her intellect, her self-confidence, her boundaries. Like, I just think so lovely to have a girl character like this for girls and boys and adults to read about and identify with. Um, and she can, she can maintain that sense of Mm -hmm. herself in, in the face of Draco, and the slurs and the comments, even when people, even Ron, you know, mm-hmm. she goes on to marry down the road, spoiler alert. Um, even as he's kind of putting her down for being smart, she doesn't stop raising her hands, you know? And I remember like as a middle school girl who like loved school, just loving that, just loving that. And I loved watching now my daughter watch her and I'm just like, like soak
3: this up, soak mm-hmm. this up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Such a love the little so, bottle for girls. And then since we're on the topic, like you think about Ron, who is like this lost soul in this big family. (laughs) Redheads. And so you kind of see his sort of anxious style come through Um, that, you know, particularly when he was asked to relax and he could. Yeah, yes, yes.
1: (laughs) He's like, I don't know how. (laughs)
3: right so and all the hand-me-down not that he got but also the same sweater that he gets every year uh, that there is love in that family there is care but also with so many kids they're kind of lost Mm -hmm. until they get into trouble Uh, (laughs) that you know they get into like parental you know they get parental attention and you hear about their concerns um and so even though there is not a lot of any any malintent anywhere on uh within uh the you know the Weasley family, but you can see where Ron's anxiety and anxious attachment style comes in, and you see mm-hmm. the same thing in in the u ball like it's and the anxious attachment style is you know the child that doesn't know how to get sued. they're like, all right, please pick me up, no, not put me down, no, pick me up again. I'm not sure they're just taking time to self-regulate and self-soothe. And sometimes they can get pretty irritable and upset too. And Mm -hmm. so they might lash out. And you see that in the u Ball scene too, where I know I'm jumping ahead, but um, rather than asking Hermione, he gets really sulky and irritable, like, you know, rather than owning up, uh, but he wants it, but he doesn't know how to do it. So you kind Mm -hmm. of see that that tension and um, that sort of clinginess, but not sure what to do sort of thing so i think the the whole series really highlights these attachment styles really nicely
0: isn't that amazing like how (laughs) did jk rowling do that and i thought like the fact that they're all 11 is just perfect (laughs) it's just perfect right Uh like at that age and kind of with all the books following them through it's just really really beautifully done i think
3: and you can kind of see all Sorry, play out in the the carriage scene when they're first on the Hogwarts Express together, where I think Hermione comes in looking for Neville's
1: frog, frog. <laughs> uh,
3: and, and you see how confident she is, and she's like, you know, oh, you're you have- who and who are you, and have you done this, and so so you know, self aware, self confident, and then you have Harry just sitting by himself, not sure he wants to talk to anybody um and poor ron who's trying to get his presence known again just like a young child in a big family would feel lost that i have to make my presence known otherwise i won't get the attention i need and poor scabbers that he's trying to turn yellow and that's not working out <laughs> so so you kind of see it play so nicely in a very simple simple scene mhm definitely
2: Something that I noticed, and I, I, you know, I think it's just my interpretation of things, is that Ron seems to have the most obvious, um, like, shame about um, his finances compared to mm-hmm. the other siblings. Like, I don't really notice um like Fred country, George, yeah. or, even, I mean, Ginny's younger in this book, but, mm-hmm. like, being so... Um, visibly like um upset i know that there's the interaction in the robes shop with draco and then on the yeah. train he even with like his little sandwich right he can't buy yeah. the, the treats and then there's like whoa and harry has those gold coins and it it really does seem to impact him even throughout the rest of the story um cool. just that like intersectionality that he's a pure blood but he is um like poor Um, And then how that really, you know, goes up against Draco, like, and his pure blood and wealth um, family. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. I think that's an interesting thing to think about the intersectionality of all their, their identities Mm -hmm. um, in this sort of fantasy world, right? It does really, there's so many parallels, like, even if you think about different intersectional identities in our culture today. um, And it's just interesting to Mm -hmm. think about.
2: It's an older book. I mean, again, like it was just, it's so easy to talk about these more seemingly popular nuanced ideas. They haven't been, you know, they've been around for a while, but everyone kind of talks about their intersectionality or, you know, different identities.
0: And it's like, it's so clear in the book. Right. (laughs) It does seem like the type of series where you'll always get more from it, you know, when like I reread the series, I think last year and I, I loved it. And I feel like I got more from it as an adult than I did as a kid. And it's one it, of those things where pretty. I feel like every time you read it, you'll get more and more from mm-hmm. it.
3: It just means something different. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So one thing I was hoping we could talk about is the mirror of Irised, mm-hmm. um, which is desire spelled backwards. I like totally choked up watching this part again yeah. as an adult. <laughs> I was curious to hear about your experiences. Yes. I did. Yeah.
3: I had so many thoughts about that. I mean, it's <laughs> such a powerful thing to, to really, and, and the fact that, you know, if you're truly content, then you can see yourself as you are only the happy, oh. And if, if that is like the measure of happiness. Um, and it was like, wow, you know, did Just the visual illustration of happiness that you could see Mm -hmm. yourself and to see yourself as you are. Because I just felt like, yes, it is desire, you know, spelled backwards, but it is so prevalent throughout with starting with those 36 presents that you want more. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, and Voldemort wanting more that, you know, defeated and needing to come back and needs to get more and more power and even kills a unicorn for it. Oh my uh, gosh,
0: that was devastating for my four-year-old daughter. I yeah, regretted that part.
3: Horribly, <laughs> horribly like, y- yes, you know, moving, but, but jarring scene. And, and then the fact that your heart's deepest desires that you're desperate for, and you'll see that, but anything in two, you know, in that's too much is going to consume you. And, and those people who sort of like run after the things that they really, really want. I think it was a, a very powerful way of giving that message of, you know, too mm-hmm. much would to consume you and there'll be nothing left. Like it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just thought it takes so much courage though, to ask yourself what it is that you really want in life? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of us may want all these things, but what is it that you truly, truly want? I think that's a very powerful question to ask. And how many of us really can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, this is what I really, really want in life and to be able to face up to that and own it?
2: It's a good question to ask you know, a client even because I think you can always get to like the feeling right under it. So if like if someone's, they're saying that their deepest desire is um, like financial gain, it's like, okay, but does what does that mean? Does that mean like you want to feel secure? Does it mean Mm -hmm. that you want to be Powerful. Um, powerful and you, you know in, in a sense of authority do you want people to look up to you like it's always like a feeling and why uh, yeah where does that yeah. come from yeah it's a good
0: place to explore um with yourself <laughs> and maybe with a patient as well can you imagine like starting off a session and come <laughs> to see you for the first time and you're like here's my mirror of set yeah look in look in it What do you see and what what does that mean you know <laughs> it'll make our job so much easier I know, right? Quick, right? right?
2: Real we'll quick. We'll get to the deep the deep rooted issues mm-hmm. in in 10 seconds.
0: Easy peasy. Um managed care will love it. So we see what Harry wants, which is his parents. And again, I was so struck by him going back to that mirror repeatedly and I was just like of course he is right. Like yeah. his parents are moving. He can like, you see like his mother, or his father touch his shoulder. I was just like, Oh, I so feel that for him. Then we see him like drag Ron so excited to share that experience of his parents with him. But Ron sees himself like as head boy and winning the Quidditch cup. And again, that like totally makes sense based on everything we just talked about with Ron's family. We didn't see Hermione Hmm. and I was curious what you guys thought, what would Hermione see if anything, or would she see herself? I I think maybe if anyone would be
2: seeing themselves, it would be her, especially like in book one. mm -hmm. I think she does seem so content and excited and, and authentic um, that I think it might be her. Um, Maybe it's her, being top of the class. Yeah, like, yeah. I think she is like she already kind of is. Yeah, so, exactly.
3: I, I have a feeling that the one thing she grows to develop were friendships that I, I wonder if she might see herself surrounded with friends. Yeah. I think at her age, again, I agree, Portia of, of the three characters, yeah. you know, Harry,
0: Ron, Hermione, I feel like she would be the one closest to seeing just her true self. But I wonder if at that age of 11 as a girl, if there's some something deeper, she's not able to articulate mm-hmm. yet. That we might see, you know, like friendship.
2: Yeah, um, I think that's accurate. I think sometimes I, you know, you get the books confused or what's like maybe a fan fiction thing <laughs> online or something. But I am pretty sure that she does say that she did struggle with friends, mm-hmm. and so to have, yeah. you know, the, these deep friendships that build in at Hogwarts, I think that's yeah. that might yeah. be. That might be it.
3: Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, you know, she is very brilliant. So seeing herself as, like, the top, you know, graduate or something of her class probably isn't far-fetched. But if that Mm -hmm. intimidates other kids when she's correcting them over, you know, Livio Saw. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. uh, That might rub kids the wrong way, that maybe that peer acceptance And those close friendships might be something that we see sort of develop over time as well.
0: And so as we start wrapping up our wonderful Mm -hmm. episode today, um, let's talk a little bit about their friendships. Because I just feel like, I mean, gosh, I thought the movie did such a good job, like, explaining, you know, the book, which has so many concepts, like, Um, so much magic in it. Like it had to do so much in just two and a half hours of just like background. Like this is where we find ourselves. This is Hogwarts. This is Quidditch. This is, uh, this is Voldemort. Like here it is. Um, And capturing all these complex concepts in such like a beautifully visually appealing way. The music is wonderful. Um, But we certainly see the triad between mm-hmm. Ron and Hermione starting and forming. And we know that just grows and grows and gets more complex over time. Um, and I was really curious, Dr. Q, about your thoughts about, you know, first of all, that it's a triad. There's three mm-hmm. of them, two boys and a girl. And like, what do you think of all that?
3: Um, I just love the idea. And particularly since, you know, you have the the girl be somebody like Hermione. Um <sighs> And, and I thought it's really nice to see their parallel processes. Each one of them is trying to fi- sort of discovering that they're each really good at something, but not good at everything. Like Hermione realizes, you know, she's not good at quidditch. Mm-hmm. How humbling for someone who's really good and smart mm-hmm. to know Quidditch is not for them and Mm -hmm. and you know Harry discovering that's what he's really good at and very early on and and you know Ron playing chess and how it was reinforced with all the points um even Mm -hmm. Neville's like standing up to your friends Mm -hmm. so I just felt, felt that that was such a lovely way of saying that some of the reasons why friendships are important is that no one is whole in themselves and so much stronger when we all complement each other. But how do you explain that to an 11-year-old? But if they saw the movie, they would understand Yeah, that we are so much more when we're all together and mm-hmm. how those friendships last over years even for many of us. And I also felt like the complexity that he talked about, I think another movie that highlights it really nicely is um, Inside Out. Yes, we love that movie. Our our emotions are one color when they're younger and as you grow older, they get more complex and those marbles are multicolored because um, emotions are more complex than just feeling sad, mad and glad. Yes, and, and and similarly as as we're thinking about, I think this goes very nicely in a parallel of fairy tales and development. That when children are younger, they can only see good and bad. Um, as long as you're giving me what I want, you're the good parent. When you set limits, you are not. And oh, I feel this every day. Older, <laughs> you can hold the things together in the same person. Um, that. There are things that are great about them, and there are things that are some weaknesses. And when we're children, we look at our parents as these idealized giants. And as we grow older, we see them for human beings that have wonderful strengths and flaws that we can still accept and love them still the same. Um. So I think that is a big developmental challenge, but I think the books highlight that really nicely with them being able to sit and tolerate that complexity, that nothing is so great. Yes.
0: And again, with them starting this journey at age 11, I feel like that's the perfect timing, yeah. you know, for all of this to start. And I, I, I wonder if You know, even like the darkness of Harry Potter, you know, like in watching the first movie, I was like, all right, I think it'll be several years before I show my Mm -hmm. kids the second movie, because each one gets a little darker, a little grittier. But I think that's maybe contributes to why it sort of captured all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it is darker, you know, than like the Disney version, Yes, like Inside Out is a great example. But I think that just speaks to the reality. Um, Like the books get more
2: complex, the books get darker, the characters get more complex,
0: the characters get darker as we,
2: you know, I think it was just such an interesting time to read it as a child Mm -hmm. as they came out, because it really like kind of aligned perfectly with my own development. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember my mom read me the first book and then like, I remember the last one coming out and I think my grandma said it to me, it was like raft in the muggles, right? Like, (laughs) muggles real can receive on whatever date. And like, then I read it for myself. So Mm -hmm. it was just, I think it's so uniquely that way that led to so many people being a part of it for years Mm -hmm. and still feeling really connected to it now. And
0: now getting to share it with like your own children, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I'm starting to do is so special.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: And, And that's the power of fairy tales is that even if it may be really dark, it creates this like metaphorical imaginary special place where you can still explore this darkness in a very safe way. Yes, yes. Go process yes. it. Look what it's like to be angry. Oh my gosh, you know, cruel people, mean people. And then you come back to the safety of reading this with your mom and Mm-mm. everything's going to be okay.
1: How yeah, nice it's so
0: that? beautiful. It is. It's very special. Very yeah. special. Um, well, Dr. Q, is there anything else you were hoping we could touch on? You know, talking about Harry Potter, the first one.
3: I just think it. I think it's uh, just a wonderful part of my life. I wish I was in Hogwarts and that was the life I lived sometimes. No. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having a real Harry Potter birthday someday. Um, but I think the thing that resonates most with me is this quote from Neil Gaiman that says, fiction is a lie that tells us true things over and over. And I think that's the power of Harry Potter is that the reason it spoke to so many of us is, is that we all connected at some level with something that was very true for each one of us.
0: I like that. That, well, is, that is a really beautiful you know, place to leave mm-hmm. it. Um, well, Dr. Q, thank you so much for joining us. We would love to have you back for the next... <laughs> seven movies <laughs> you know, over the course
3: of time. I um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice to personally reconnect with you again. Thank you all for listening to this very special episode of analyze scripts. Um, if you'd like to hear our take on inside out, we do have an episode about that um, from uh, several months ago. Um, I don't know, Dr. Q did, you know, they're making a sequel. I think it's supposed to come out in the next couple years. Um, so that's really exciting. I hope it's about Riley's adolescence. Oh, oh like I hope yes. And, and we really hope it also shows her living through COVID. Mm-hmm. Ah, like we could really use oh, that yes. for the kids. We could, uh, <laughs> right? Um, but if you can find us at Analyze Scripts Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and catch us next Monday for our next episode. Thanks so much. See you next Thank time. You. Bye. Bye. Thank
3: you for having me
0: this podcast and its contents are a copyright of analyzed scripts all rights reserved any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited unless you want to share it with your friends and rate review and subscribe that's fine all stories and characters discussed are fictional in nature no identification with actual persons living or deceased, places, buildings, or products is intended or should be inferred. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The podcast and its contents do not constitute professional, mental health, or medical advice. Listeners might consider consulting a mental health provider if they need assistance with any mental health problems or concerns. As always, please call 911 or go directly to your nearest emergency room for any psychiatric emergencies. This podcast and its contents are a copyright of analyzed scripts, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited. Unless you want to share it with your friends and rate, review, and subscribe, that's fine. All stories and characters discussed are fictional in nature. No identification with actual persons, living or deceased, places, buildings, or products is intended or should be inferred. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The podcast and its contents do not constitute professional, mental health, or medical advice. Listeners might consider consulting a mental health provider if they need assistance with any mental health problems or concerns. As always, please call 911 or go directly to your nearest emergency room for any psychiatric emergencies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.